Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Hey, good to see everybody again. Thanks for coming. Uh, That time change Sunday, spring forward. I don't know who thought of that, but we need to pray for him. And, uh, but, amen. I think it was the devil. But anyways, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, So we're glad that you're here today. Here's what we believe. It's always better. There is greater refreshing in the presence of God than in your bed. And so anytime you can come and spend time with other believers and worship the Lord and center of the word, it's good. So thanks for coming out today. And I just want to say, since last week's message was on sex, thanks for coming back. And uh, thank you. I'm glad. It makes me feel good. You guys are back. All right. So appreciate that. <laughs> oh, I hope that you've been getting something out of this series. So I know I sure have. So I'm excited about bringing the word to you today. I uh, just want to say, you know, um, like in the last week, if you weren't here, then by all means, go online, watch it or get the CDs. And I've had a lot of people ask me, how do we get the information or how do we get the services? You can get, always get them after service. You can have a CD. But at the end of the series, we're going to package it for you in an album that will help you take care of it. You can get that. You can always go online and watch it. We've, this last Sunday service, we've had 600 and something views. Uh, not surprising with the subject matter. And some of you keep watching it over and over again, and that's okay. <laughs> that's good. But uh, I hope that you've had a chance to really take to heart some of the things that we're finding in the Word of God and then applying to your life. And so I'm excited about the next few weeks, too, as we finish out this series on the Song of Solomon. Um, and so some might say, why, why talk about this in church? And, and I hear that. Why talk about sex? L- last week was probably PG-13-ish, and I don't know. And, and let me just tell you why. Just this week alone, I was flipping through the channels, and I saw a TV show that said, um, Married at First Sight. And I thought, well, what is that? And it's exactly what you think it is. It's a reality show that people don't even know each other. The first time they see each other is when they walk down the aisle to get married and then they follow their life. And I can tell you how the life's probably going to go. And I thought, wow, if people have that, the world has that a picture of marriage is completely different than what God ever intended. And so his word is true. Amen. So we need to align the, our lives up with the word. And then I was reading some information in USA Today, and maybe you heard about this and some other news agencies, in fact, that there's a particular TV show, I can't even remember the name of it, and that it was talking about that on this particular episode, there was going to be two 13-year-old boys kissing each other. And they're really celebrating the fact that it's the first uh, gay kiss between, or between two males that are underage. And it was like it was a celebratory thing. Everybody watches this groundbreaking and stuff. And I thought, wow, the world has really missed what God had always intended. And uh, I just want you to know that it's important to live our life in accordance with the word of God. Um, I'm always amazed at the world's quote unquote experts on the subject. In fact, I think on one of those shows they had, uh, I stopped the married at first sight. They had this lady talking and her title was sexologist. And I thought, what is a sexologist? And then I thought, I can guarantee you that in her talking about the subject of that she probably doesn't even reference the scripture at all, which is amazing to me because you understand God created sex, not the devil. And if you're going to go and be an expert on anything, doesn't it reason to, to be true to that you go to the creator, the one who created it. And I'm amazing at these so-called experts in the world today trying to tell our, our world, our young people about sex and not even using the book by the creator, the one who created it, right? And so it's important for us. So why talk about it in church? Because the world's talking about it and the church has been silent for far too long, amen? And so we're gonna do that and we're gonna continue on today. So you can go ahead and open your Bibles up and turn to Song of Solomon chapter five. So that was my speech right there and you can take it for what it is, but I always believe God's way is the best way. 
And so that's why we need to stay in the word of God on it. Again, we're glad that you're out today. Going to continue our series on the Song of Solomon. The Song of Songs is what it says in, in chapter one, verse one. And Solomon wrote over a thousand songs and he places the greatest emphasis on this one. This is the most important. So God put it in the Bible. Why talk about it? Because God put it in the scripture. He wanted you to know about it. And so we've been taking uh, week by week, study through, verse by verse, study through the Song of Solomon. We're continuing on today. And just real quick, in week one, we talked about attraction. And Solomon is attracted to this lady, his beloved, she's attracted to him. So we look to see what the Bible has to say about attraction. What should we be attracted to? And interestingly enough, it is opposite what the world says. And it talks about the order, spiritual attraction, emotional attraction, and physical attraction. And the world has it mixed up. And so we need to be who we are looking for. Uh, week two, we talked about, we talked it about dating. We talked about dating, but really it's biblical courtship. Dating didn't even really begin to be anything or dating until the 1920s or so. But before that, it was all, always biblical courtship, and meaning there are seasons to dating and things that we need to look at in the word according to that. And so that's there. And last week we talked about, again, the honeymoon night. We spent the whole service in the chamber, the private chamber, and talking through that passage of scripture, God's plan for intimacy or God's plan for great sex. And again, he is the creator of it. So it stands to reason that we go to the creator uh, for the best possible um, way to be intimate and to have that, apply that in our, in our marriages. And so you can find that again uh, in the CD or go back and watch that. But now the honeymoon is over, <laughs> right? And now it is the real world. Reality has set in and now that it is time for their first fight. And so we see that in Song of Solomon chapter five, uh, verse two. Let me read for you uh, starting in verse two. Let's take a look at this. I slept, this is her, I slept, but my heart was awake, meaning my heart just kept beating, I was troubled, I was in bed, but I was troubled. Listen, my beloved is knocking. So he's been out late, let me paint it for you. He's been out a little bit late, stayed home, didn't come home on time, and so she's already in bed, and she's troubled, she's kind of restless, she's in bed, she can't sleep, her heart's beating, and then now he says, open to me my sister, my darling. My dove, my flawless one. Listen to that. Come on, baby. Hey, come on, open the door for me. I know it's late. I know I say it out late, but come on, baby. Open the door. I want some love. And she basically, I want some love. Come on, let me in. And so he says, he says, my head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. I know I've been out all night, and we don't know why. We don't know if he was doing his kingly duties, or we don't know if he was hanging out with his buddies. I mean, it doesn't really say that. But nonetheless, she's not real happy about it. And so she's a kind of restless in bed, and he's knocking on the door, let me in. And he's talking all sweet, so she'll open the door to him. But, but she doesn't. And we'll, we'll see it progress here in just a second. I've taken off, here's her response. I've taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I have washed my feet. Must I soil them again? And basically when you, what you see right here is the Hebrew way of saying, I have a headache. <laughs> and I was like, it ain't happening, right? That's basically what I'm saying. And so what happens out of this is conflict, is their first fight. And so understand that, that we all have conflict. Every single one of us. We're wired different, completely different personalities. And I'm always, um, it always makes me smile when I meet with couples and I talk about, well, we never fight. And I'm like, well, what planet do you live on? I mean, because you're different people and that's just part of the world. The devil's out there. We are human. We're, we have emotions we have to deal with. And, and conflict is a part of our life. I don't know if it's even possible to have a conflict-free life, but I know it's possible to fight the right way, to find a way to resolve conflict in a healthy way and godly way. And we need to follow the word for that. I just want you to know that, you know, even my wife and I always try and be transparent. When we have our moments, we have our, our fights and, and we get into conflict. And in fact, not long ago, I'm not very proud of this, but the last fight we had, I had her running to the closet 
And again, I'm not really proud of that, but she came running saying, come on out here, Don, and fight like a man. I was like, I was like <laughs> some of you are wondering, is he serious? <laughs> I'll leave that to you. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we do, we, we do. Just like everybody else, we have conflict from time to time, and, and we as well as you need to find ways principles in the word of God that we can walk out a process that will help us have conflict in a healthy way and come out uh, stronger for it. And so, you know, this week we are looking at conflict and how to resolve that. And so again, you're going to fight, so let's fight the right way. So she's upset. She's laying in bed. Her heart's racing. She's mad at him. I wonder why he's out late. Why is he not coming home? He comes home, starts talking sweet. Hey, baby. Hey, darling. Hey, my dove. Sweet thing. Open the door. And she's like, no, I'm not going to open the door. And he's like, my, I've been out all night. I'm tired. And she's like, it doesn't matter. And she's like, no, I don't think so. And then she talks to him about, I'm not going to do that. So my beloved thrust his hand. Here's the next verse. My beloved thrust his hand through the latch opening. And understand some scholars in reading this and listening to different people, some would say that either he stuck his hand through the door and said, okay, this is your last chance kind of thing. Okay, here's my hand. Here's my arm. So last chance I'm leaving. Or some might even say that he put his fist through the door. And so you can draw your own conclusion on that. Nonetheless, he wasn't happy about it. He was upset, frustrated as he did that. And as he was leaving, it goes on to say this, then my heart began to pound for him. And the last part of that verse, if you don't mind going back, if you don't mind going back, it says my heart began to pound for him, meaning he either thrust his hand, this is your last chance, or put his fist through the door. But then all of a sudden, as he leaves, she has a change of mind. And she decides, you know what? No, I'm, I'm changing my mind. I, I, want, I want this to happen. And so basically she's conceding and she gives in. So verse five says this, I arose to open for my beloved, and my hands drip with myrrh, and my fingers are flowing with myrrh, and my handles on the boat, on the bolt. I changed my mind. I'm going to give in to him. Verse six, and I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had left. He was gone, and my heart sank at his departure. She opened the door, but he had gotten mad and left, and her heart sank at his departure. So here we have their first fight. And again, we're all going to find ourselves in those moments. We will all engage in this and conflict. And again, whether that is with your spouse or with your kids or with friends or with other people in your life, there's application for everyone. You'll have to find it and see what applies to your life. But we're talking about their marriage and fighting in their marriage here. And so let's look at a few things. I wrote down a couple phases of marriage. The first phase of marriage is this, the honeymoon phase. And that's the one that we all really like and love. And we just saw that. We read that last week in their private bedchambers. They just got married. And if you look at that word, honeymoon, really it's two words together. Honey being sweet, nice, and wonderful to taste. And moon speaks to like the lunar cycle, so 30 days. So basically, it's been a sweet month, but the honeymoon is over. You know, it's not, it's not the same anymore. And so we enjoy that honeymoon phase, but it is short-lived. The next phase that we would see in marriage would be disillusionment phase, a disillusionment phase. And, and that means I found out some things about you that I didn't know. I mean, the honeymoon is over. We, we're past the first month and all of a sudden, who is this man I married? Who is this woman I married? You didn't tell me that. <laughs> when we were dating, you didn't treat me like that. When we were dating, you didn't talk to me like that. Now the honeymoon's over and it's a disillusionment stage and phase. And we're thinking like, I never knew this. You're a completely different person. And the risk in the disillusionment phase is most people don't get out of that. And they become disillusioned with their spouse because they thought they were something that they aren't. And, and let me just say this, it takes time to really discover everything about somebody. In fact, you, you don't ever, you're really doing it your whole life. It's a discovery process. But the problem is people get disillusioned with their spouse. And so that creates conflict, but also the danger there is when you're disillusioned with your spouse, you begin to buy into an illusion that there's somebody else out there for you. 
Oh, there's somebody perfect. There's somebody that's more perfect for me. I have disillusioned here. This wasn't what I thought it would be. That means that there must be somebody else out there more perfect for me. And let me just say, there ain't nobody out there perfect. Come on, all right? I mean, it doesn't matter. There is nobody perfect. But in this stage, you have to be careful to push through it, walk through it, because if you don't, you'll find that those conflicts will divide you even greater. And even to some, you'll have an illusion that there's somebody else out there and it will lead you down a path that you never were meant to go. So you need to be careful. And having said that, let me make a plug for one of our life enrichment classes. We have a class called Two Becoming One. And we talk about some of those things as you're anticipating getting married or you're newly married. And so I want to encourage you that begins Wednesday night to get signed up for that. So the only way to have a successful marriage is to push past the illusion and make a commitment to the relationship. You're making a commitment to the covenant. You're making a commitment to the covenant between each other and between you and God. Not necessarily to the person per se, but to the commitment that you're making, the covenant. And this couple really becomes a model. And that's phase three, commitment phase. This couple becomes a model and one we would like to be like or one that we can find truths to apply to our relationships and our marriage. And the reason why they're able to settle this fight is because they made a commitment to the relationship. And we'll see some of that as we walk this process out. And they made a commitment to sticking with one another and handling things in a godly way. And that's the key right there. And so they made some decisions before the fight that I think that you and I need to understand. We need to make some pre-fight decisions. And so I want you to listen as I say this, choices lead feelings follow. Choices lead, feelings follow. See, we got it backwards. We are led by our feelings and we make choices based on our feelings. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. Your feelings will lead you astray. Your feelings are influenced by the world, by your own wants and desires. In fact, the Bible says sometimes the heart is the enemy of God. And so your feelings and emotions can lead you down the wrong path. But listen, the Bible says that choices lead, feelings will follow. In fact, last week we talked about the idea of people saying that I've fallen out of love. Love is a choice. You don't fall out of love. You've just chose not to invest in it any longer. And so you make choices and your feelings will follow. So understand that. And so we need to have some pre-fight choices made based on the principles of God. So we need to settle some things in our heart before they happen. And in this story, we see three pre-fight decisions this couple makes. I want to talk to you about that. But before I get into that, I understand that we don't all come from, you know, a, all those rosy kind of background and marriages and relationships. We have before Christ uh, times and history, and then even after that, we have conflict. And I didn't know some of the things I didn't knew then, and just different people. It takes two to make it work, and one to destroy it. I know all that. And, but understand one of our ground rules for the series is that we let Jesus make all things new from this point forward. Amen. We let the past be the past. We get a clean slate and we walk forward today changed and make better decisions from this day forward. Again, remember, condemnation is of the devil and he says you're where you are and you're never gonna get out of it, but the conviction of the Holy Spirit is extremely important. It says here's where you are, now let's find the way out. And so let's remember our ground rules as we walk this story out today. And you need to know this, the things that we talk about, really normal people cannot do them. I'll be honest with you, normal people cannot do what we're talking about today. These principles are are for godly people who have the power of God working in their life. Amen. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. With God, all things are possible. You need to have the power of God working in your life. And as a believer, you have Jesus. Amen. We talked about the name of Jesus and we're thankful for that. Amen. We need that. When you're following God's supernatural capacity happens. I don't have the capacity to love anymore. Well, thank goodness that you have the one who is love living inside of you, amen? You have a supernatural capacity for love because of Jesus in you. 
When we experience the love of God, your ability to love goes to a whole new level. We are to love like Jesus loves. And we have the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit. On your own, you cannot do it. But with Jesus, all things are possible. Amen? And so you won't be able to do this without the power of God operating in your life. So let's take a look at chapter 6, verse 1. Chapter 6, verse 1. Where has your beloved gone? See, there's this group of friends that are kind of hanging out with her all the time. And so now they're like, oh, you're so lucky. And Solomon's this the real, the catch of the world. And how did you manage that? And he's wonderful. And now all of a sudden the, fl- the fight happens. And they're like, where's your beloved gone? Where is he at now? Most beautiful of women. <laughs> you know, don't you appreciate people like, those aren't really your friends. You know, you need new friends right there when that happens. Where's he at now? What's going on? And they're, they're out there watching this uh, unfold. Which way did your beloved turn that we may look for him with you? And then it goes on to say this in verse two. My beloved, here's her response to them. My beloved has gone down to his garden to the beds of spices to browse in the gardens and to gather lilies. Let's talk about that for a second. He wasn't necessarily a gardener, but what this means is he went to a place that he consistently goes because she didn't buy into, where is he at now? Where did he run off to? How wonderful is your marriage now? How perfect is everything that you have? And she didn't get caught up in all that. She responds to them very calmly. She says, he went down, I'm sure he went down to his garden. It's the place that he goes when things are tough. It's where he goes to find some peace. It's where he goes to settle down and cool down a little bit. It's where he goes when he just needs to take a step back and take a deep breath. Basically what she's saying is, I'm glad that he went. If he was upset because of how I handled that, I'm glad he went down to his place where he can spend some time to settle down and call down. It may be his place of prayer, some people think. And instead of taking the fight further, here's what she's saying to to all her friends gathered, instead of taking the fight further, as most people would do, instead of yelling at me or punching through the door or getting physical with me or getting really violent with me verbally or putting me down, or do you think and what right do you have or losing his temper and being real angry as most people would do, instead he retreats to his garden and responds a different way. Boy, is there a lesson for each and every one of us. We're not to respond railing for railing. We don't respond out of anger. When we do that, it takes the fight to a whole nother level. It takes the fight to a whole nother level. We've experienced, well, who do you think you are? And all of a sudden, we're right back at it. In fact, some of us take pride in our ability to fight. Instead, he retreats to a place, a place where he can then respond after time in a different way. And listen to her response. Let's go back to the scripture. Here's her response to him doing that. Where is he at now? I'm sure he has gone to that place that he goes to get some peace, to calm down a little bit, to settle down. And here's her response after that. I am my beloved and he is mine. You know what she's saying? I love him even more for that because he doesn't respond as most other men would. He didn't respond as most people would. Instead of just, oh yeah, let me tell you, he went back and you know what? That just makes me love him even more. I love that he can be calm in those situations. I love that he can remove himself and not respond violently or angrily. Come on, I love that. We think we have to prove our point. We think we have to win an argument or a battle and that that's gonna help the relationship. She said, because he went to calm down and not respond as most people would, it just makes me love him even more. Ah, there's a good lesson, guys. This makes me love and respect him even more. He browses among the lilies. He's in his place, his quiet place, his secret place, if you will, where he can spend time and calm down. She's like, this guy doesn't react like other guys. You know, and this, this message, like others, uh, convicts me. I have the time to, as I ask God what to minister on, spend time studying for uh, a number of days and hours to present that. I get to present it twice, and all of them really speak to me like you. I find things in my life that I need to get in order 
And this message really speaks to me too because I'll be honest with you, um, I'm not necessarily the guy that gets mad quickly. I'm pretty calm for most part. You can probably ask most of the staff. I'm pretty calm for most. If something gets me angry, it's, it's taken a while to get me to that place. And I'm not the guy that really flies off the handle very much, honestly, and you know, gets mad and lets you have it. I'm, I'm just, I'm not really that guy. But I will say this, I speak for a living. It's my gift. It's what God's called me to do. I speak for a living, so when I get to that point, when I fight, I mean, I can fight, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but there's times I can. I can misuse my gift and tear my wife to shreds, and that is not what God intends. And we need to be very careful. We need to be very careful, because words hurt. And the world's way is to fight it out. And the world's way is, let me tell you something. Oh, you think you know that. And guys, I'm telling you, the world's way is to misuse our gifts and our strengths. And God never intended it to be that way. And don't you dare terrorize or threaten physically, verbally, emotionally. Just because you're bigger and stronger, you can say more, whatever. Don't do that. That doesn't do anything but drive the relationship further apart, and that's not what God intends. And so we need to understand these gifts and these principles. They're not proud of it, but, you know, God has helped me through the scripture, helped us through the scripture find a way that we can live our life and make different choices today. Amen? And so most men do this either either in an aggressive way or a passive way, and they check out, and I can do that just as well. But what do godly people do? Godly people learn. We learn from the scripture. And what we learn is this, number one, I will act, not react. And here's what she's saying. He acted on some things he predetermined. He didn't react to the situation. And react means to reenact what the other person did, railing for railing, or give it back to them. If you did this, then I'm gonna do this. You said this, so I'm gonna say that. We have this, it's not fair mentality, or we have this justice mentality. So if you do this, then I'm gonna do that. If you act this way, then I'm gonna react this way. And I get mad. And so sometimes I give the silent treatment, and I'm really good at that. I don't fly off the handle usually, but I give the silent treatment a lot of times. So we go to bed. We go to bed mad, and we're not supposed to do that. But sometimes we go to bed and we ignore the other, and I, we have a king-size bed. There's a, that's a big bed. <laughs> There's a lot of distance between the couple and a king-size bed. But when I'm mad and I give the silent treatment, I'll stay on the very edge of my bed, right? I just get on my side to stay right on the edge. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going right here, barely on the bed. And so then I, I, I go to bed, and usually first, and I don't, I don't say anything. I just have my back to her, right? And she'll be upset. Her back will be to me. So Because, you know, the first one to talk loses, right? <laughs> so you don't say anything. You get on your edge of the bed. You give them their back, and you don't say anything. You don't say anything any word-wise, but after a while, you go, <sighs> and then they go, <sighs> You know how it is, right? And so we can do that, and that's wrong also, and we shouldn't do that. That doesn't bring any resolution. And, but we, in our human nature, we, for whatever reason, we get there to that place. You know, it reminds me of the story about the husband and wife that got in a big fight. And then before they went to bed, he went to bed before she did, and, and so they weren't talking, silent treatment came on. And so he had to get up really early the next day, five o'clock, to catch a plane. He had to get up early. And so he wrote her a note, left it on her pillow, and said, I need to be up at five o'clock to catch my plane. Wake me up. And so... 
Uh, he goes to bed and he wakes up in the morning and he looks over at the clock. It says nine o'clock and he's in a panic and he's missed his flight. He's really angry. He jumps up out of bed to get after her and he looks on his pillow and it says, it's 5 a.m., wake up, is a note. <laughs> so, all right, so none of that works. <laughs> hey, people of God, we are to do it differently, right? We are to not do it like the world does it. And I need to make a fresh commitment to my wife and to God to do it differently in, in the revelation that we're talking about today. Amen? And we can start from here. So let's look at 1 Peter 2.23. Understand this. Here's Jesus. When they hurled insults at him, Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Who is him who judges justly? It's God. He laughed it up in God's hands. God will take care of that. I'll let God be my defense. But if there was anyone on the planet that ever had uh, maybe a, a justification for retaliation, it would be our Lord Jesus Christ. When he was beaten and bruised and wrongly accused and nailed on a cross, he could have called 10,000 angels down on his behalf, but he hung there. What kept him on the cross and not retaliating? Love. For who? You. For the world. And he left everything up to God. Well, there's a lesson for us modeled by Jesus himself that we walk in the benefit and blessing of it. And so we need to be very, very careful. Let God take care of it. Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. Railing for railing, the Bible says, do not respond railing for, you just escalate things. You drive the division even greater. So what is the proper response? It's love and respect. So here's the thing, a woman wants love. And when I'm upset, if I'll let her know how much I love her, that will help the situation. See, because love is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. Again, love is a choice, but it's an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. And ladies, what a, man's, what a man needs is respect. You may not appreciate what happened or what was said, but you can still show love and respect. Men, you can show love. Ladies, in the midst of that, ladies, you can show respect. And here's what we're seeing in this conflict between the two of them. And if men, we will show love and ladies will show respect. Doesn't mean that what happened was okay, that we even appreciate or like it. Doesn't mean that, to belittle that. But it will change the temperature, the climate of the situation when we respond in a godly way. He goes on to say this in the next verse. You are as beautiful as Tirzah, my darling, as lovely as Jerusalem, as majestic as troops with banners. Here's what he says, you are beautiful. Now, we didn't, here's his response of love, you are beautiful. Now, we didn't read the rest, the last part of chapter five, but if you go back to chapter five and do that maybe later today, but she's upset with him, and even though she's upset with him, she talks in the rest of that chapter about all his positive traits. I mean, she spends, she goes in a great deal talking about all his wonderful traits. And really, if you read it, she's doing it in a way that brings honor and respect. So they're in a fight. She's mad at her, him. He's mad at her. And she goes back and talks about all his wonderful traits. And they're all centered around honor and respect. And then he goes into more of a love response. In fact, we won't read it today because we read it last week. But if you read verses five through seven or eight, you'll see that it, 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 he is saying word for word some of what was said last week. When he talked about how wonderful she was, how beautiful she was, how wonderful her dark hair was and the features of her face and worked his way down. Word for word, he says that in the middle of their fight, he gets very intimate with his words. In the middle of their fight, she gets very honoring and respecting. In the middle of their fight. Now again, you can see why I'd say it's impossible without God, but with God, all things are possible, amen? Okay, verse nine, let's go on and see this in verse nine. But my dove, 
My perfect one is unique. The only daughter of her mother, the favorite of the one who bore her. I love this passage of scripture, this scripture right here. There's two words that really stand out when I read that. And no, it's not dove, but it's my dove, my perfect one. But nobody's perfect. We know that, nobody's perfect. The only perfect one that ever was and ever will be is Jesus. But he says, my perfect one. Is she perfect? No, but he chose to see her that way. No matter how angry he was, he still chose to see her that way. Choices lead, feelings follow. He says this, you're perfect, you are unique. My perfect one is unique, and I love that. That word unique stands out to me because unique says that you're one of a kind. You're not like everybody else, and more importantly, you're not like me. You have different set of needs. You have a different set of responses. You have a different personality. You're unique. And see, here's what we need to know. We need, we're all different, and we need to celebrate the uniqueness and not attack it and drive our greater wedge. My wife and I are very opposite. If you spend time with us, we are on opposite ends of the spectrum. And when she's feeling cold, I'm feeling hot. When she's hot, I'm cold. When I want to spend, she wants to save. When she wants to spend, I want to spend. And well, we're the, we're the same then, but <laughs> no. She's great with money. And honestly, she's great with money. I'm not. I mean, money burns a hole in my pocket. My allowance goes really quick. I'm, I'm asking for an increase in allowance. It just, I just burn through it all. But she manages money just wonderfully. She manages time. I don't know what's going on from day to day half the time, and I have phones and all that kind of stuff, but her mind is detail-oriented. She manages things that way, and it's been a huge blessing to us. We celebrate the uniqueness. It's important to do that. That's why God put us together. And, and we, we need to understand that our, our uniqueness is our strength. I remember um, when Joe McGee comes and he does a, a talk on marriage a lot of times, we get to spend some time with Joe. We love spending time with Joe and Denise. It's our kind of time really to kind of talk about life and ministry. And I was telling him one time because we had been kind of in a little argument and, I, and, and I'm telling Joe all this and all that and he's just laughing. I'm like, why are you laughing? It's not funny. And he goes, he just laughed and said, you guys are complete opposites. And I know, can you fix her? Because it's just terrible. And he's like, it's just God intended. God did it that way. Because then her strengths complement mine and mine complement hers. And it's really the, the completing partner, not the competing partner. A part that God brings us together because he, he doesn't need another you. All right? And someone say, praise the Lord, thank you. He doesn't need another you. He needs someone that will complete you and complete the picture. There has to be a, a uniqueness there and it's to be celebrated. It's not to be the thing that divides us. And godly people, Christ-centered people, celebrate the uniqueness of the other. And, you know, again, just the differences are, are to be celebrated and, and to see them as benefits. In fact, uh, it was a few weeks ago, she was out of town for something, and, and she always, she, she leaves stuff for us, there's things to eat and that kind of stuff, and, and she goes, and so when she's gone, the girls and I are like, let's go out to eat, and let's, let's go to Baskin Robbins, and let's go to the movies, and let's do all that, and, and when she came home, she's like, hey, what you guys been doing? No, nothing, you know, nothing, and and uh, stuff, but she manages our finances, so she's like, oh, I see you went here and went here, and I, and I looked at the girls and I said, I know we should have paid cash for everything. <laughs> but you know the great benefit of that? She's gotten us out of debt, praise the Lord. She has enabled us to give far above our tithe. Our tithe is baseline for us. We give as generously as we can. We, we made the biggest faith pledge that we've ever made in our life. It was seemingly impossible to the building fund, to the building pledge thing. And, uh, and it's because she's so frugal with money and we're tithers and God bless us. It's amazing. And we have margin money for things that we want to do and we never thought we'd be able to do and weren't 
going to be able to do that if I manage it all. So those gifts are celebrated in all kinds of great things. And so, as you can see, the, it is important to celebrate the differences, the uniqueness of the other individual. And so, God knew exactly what he was doing by bringing me everything that I'm not. And what godly people, is, what godly people do is they choose to focus on good and not bad. Focus on good and not bad. See, when you're in a fight, all you want to do is focus on the bad. And all the bad that's ever happened, right? We're going to bring all that up. Let me tell you what they did. Let's talk about this. And then we sit down with people and visit with people. And first thing's out of their mouth. Well, he did this and she did that. Let me, I had a pastor friend tell me one time that before he sits down with a couple, to have, before he sit down with a couple, he says, have each person tell 10 things that are wonderful about the other. And he said, usually you don't have to go beyond that. You don't have to go any farther than that. And I thought, thank you, I'm implementing that <laughs> anytime I sit down with somebody. But if we can get focused on the good and not the bad, make a choice to appreciate the fact that we're different and choose to focus on the good. Philippians 4.8 says this. Philippians 4.8, let's take a look at that. It says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. We think on things that are good and we control our mind in the situation. Focus on the good instead of the bad. And it seems like that's so hard to do, Pastor, because my brain, my mind, and I would say, I understand, but you have the mind of Christ. Amen? You have the mind of Christ. Song of Solomon 6, 11 through 13. Let's take a look. And it goes on to say this. It goes, he says, uh, I went... I went down to the, to the grove of nut trees to look at the new growth in the valley to see if the vines had budded or the pomegranates were in bloom. And before I realized it, my desire set me among the royal chariots of my people. Now go back to the previous verse. Let me, let me explain something in here. It says, I went down to the grove of trees to look at the new growth in the valley to see if the vines had budded or the pomegranates were in bloom. This means a season has passed. They weathered the storm. They stuck to it. It wasn't fun, it was hard, it was difficult, but they were committed to the relationship. And even though they were in a storm or in a winter or a cold, dark winter, they came out of it. They endured the conflict. They got past it. They had to work hard because it's not easy to act instead of react. And it's not easy to focus on good instead of the bad, but they survived it. And they did so by making godly decisions and applying godly principles in the time of conflict. Now, in verse 12, it goes on to say this, before I realize it, he's like, I had made up my mind. I had made up my mind, I had my mindset, my mind was made up that no matter what happens, I'm gonna focus on my bride. No matter what happens, we're gonna work this out. I have made up my mind that we're gonna work this out. I wasn't looking at the time or the season before I realized it because I had my mind made up. I had some pre-fight decisions made that no matter what, we were gonna figure this out. And before I even realized it, we came out into a new season. And so what he did was, it goes on to say this, I, before I realized it, my desires set me among the royal chariots of my people. No, stay on that one. Set me among the royal chariots of my people. So what he's saying here is, I made up my mind a long time ago, and then in the midst of that season, before I even realized it, we were out of it. And you can see this in this, in this verse right here where it talks about, I set myself among the royal chariots of my people. What that is, is an image of being before the people with her with him. It's a picture of reconciliation. 
When you ride before the people, you, you're with somebody, and that shows everyone gathered there, we're together, we're committed. We've reconciled this. So he made a commitment that even in the dark season, no matter what, we were going to work hard, we were going to act and not react, we were going to focus on the good and not the bad, and without even realizing the season change, they find themselves coming out of it, reconciled, standing together, not further apart. Now, that's powerful for you and I to get that imagery there because in front of everybody then, because people are watching, then he's able to confidently say, we have reconciled, we are together. He says to her, ride with me. He goes on to say this in verse 13. Come back, come back, O Shulamite. Come back, come back, that we may gaze on you. It says, O Shulamite here. This is the first time this word is used in the scripture right here. Now, what you need to know about the word Shulamite is this, the word Shulamite is Shulamite is the feminine version of Solomon. Shulamite is the feminine version of Solomon. So he renames her and gives her his name in the feminine form. Now, understand what's happening here. They've had conflict. They had the honeymoon, honeymoon's over. They had conflict, disagreement, like we all do. They applied godly principles in the midst of it. They come out of that season because they made pre-fight decisions. No matter what, we're gonna act, not react. We're gonna focus on good, not bad. They come out of it. There's a picture of them uh, in front of all the people together. And then as this comes to a close, what does he do? He renames her a feminine version or female name like his. What is he saying? He's like, we're closer together than we ever were. He didn't call her Shulamite before the fight began. He didn't call her Shulamite after the honeymoon or in the midst of the honeymoon. He says, now now that we've come out of this and walked through this conflict, we're closer together than we ever have been. Oh, that that would be the response or the result of our time. And it will if we apply godly principles, but typically we're farther apart than ever before. But he's like, this, walking this out in a godly process has brought us closer together. But it will only happen if you apply godly principles. And that sounds like pie in the sky and great, impossible, but understand that because the one who is love lives in you, God is love. They endured conflict and were at a new level. Neither one of them was focused on winning. The goal is not to win. In fact, when you're in a conflict and you try to win, you may win an argument, but you may lose a relationship. The goal is never to win. The focus is on restoration and resolution, not personal victory. They made a commitment. My goal isn't to be right. My goal is to love you and to give you my name. My goal is never to be right, but to love you and give you my name. And even though we face conflict, as we all do, that we can walk out a godly process and come out closer together than further apart. The only way is by applying the principles of God. And greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. Now understand that, it's a powerful idea and thought because we know that God gives us a greater capacity for love. And in our normal strength and human nature and abilities, we are incapable of this. But understand again, with God, all things are possible. And I know this is difficult. And I know that hearing a 40 minute message, you're not gonna be able to solve all your problems. Me neither, me neither. But what I'm asking is for you to open up to the power of the love of God in your life. I'm asking that before the fight, you make some pre-fight decisions. I'm asking that you not react and elevate the conflict, but that you act and go to your garden and let the spirit of God settle you down. And when you get there, understand that you're both different and unique and that's okay, it's to be celebrated. 
and focus on the millions of positive traits that person has and not on the few negative traits. And don't pay back evil for evil, but respond with good. And no matter how long that winter season may last, no matter how cold or how dark it may seem, commit to resolve the conflict, be in it for the long haul. This last principle I want us to commit to is this one, I will talk, not walk. I will talk, not walk. I'm never giving up. Now hear me in this, amen, now hear me in this. Now some of you who've experienced divorce or broken relationships and maybe marriages or family, there's that feeling again. I remember our ground rules. Let Jesus who makes all things new take your past and give him your future, amen? Move from this point forward. Jesus takes care of your yesterday, so start fresh today from this day forward. I don't know what your relationships or your marriages have been like. I don't know, and I won't know. But I'm asking that you can consider again the power of God in your lives or engaging the power of God in a greater capacity. Maybe it begins with this. Maybe it begins with taking another option off the table. Because I think sometimes we use the other option as leverages or threats. Maybe we use the word divorce I would say take other options off the table for now and apply these principles and work on this. Ephesians 4, 26 through 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, it's not easy, but it's extremely important. Now, having said all this, I know what you're thinking. What I just said is impossible and probably so unless 1 John 4, 8. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us that he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God because we didn't, but that he loved us even when we didn't love him and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The reason why you can't love is not because of the person you're with, because while we were unlovely, he kept loving us. Because he's done that, and because he's inside of us, we can love one another. We need to draw on the love of God. We have a greater capacity for love than maybe what we're experiencing or expressing because of who he is in us. I want you to experience the love of God for yourself. I want you to experience the love of God in a greater measure because when you do, it gives you a greater capacity to love. I know this, God is a good and faithful God and he didn't give up on us and he continued to pursue us. And so we need to learn to love as God loves. And if we can apply these principles to our conflict, It'll bring us closer together than drive us further apart. But we're gonna have to make decisions, pre-fight decisions to do that. And we're gonna have to let the past be the past and start with a clean slate because he makes all things new. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas. Or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.